Welcome to Leadership Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a digital pedagogy and media specialist and part of the MBA design team. In this podcast, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about what it means to lead, why their leadership identities matter, and how they leverage their leadership identities for career and business success. Some of these interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. This episode focuses on the importance of self-awareness for effective leadership. Seeing yourself clearly and understanding how others see you can sometimes be a difficult pill to swallow, but that doesn't make it any less important. To discuss this topic, we'll be talking to two different leaders for this episode. Dr. Kate Davis, Principal Lead, Digital Pedagogy and Curriculum at the University of Southern Queensland, and Kathy Grant, Executive Director of consultancy firm Leading Stratagems. Nia Yari Giam, Jaganba na Gayabul, Yarrawa Peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Our guest for this week's episode is Dr. Kate Davis. Kate has had a diverse career spanning libraries and higher education with the unifying thread being her interest in how people experience information, technology and learning. In the higher education context, Kate has been a program leader, a project lead and a team leader. Kate brings the perspective of someone who has led from a variety of positions. She has held roles where she has been both leader and manager and roles where she has led functional teams across large organisations. Currently, Kate is the Principal Lead, Digital Pedagogy and Curriculum at the University of Southern Queensland, where she leads a team of curriculum and pedagogy specialists who deliver digital curriculum innovation projects. Dr. Kate Davis, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Daniel. Kate, I wonder if you can tell me a little bit more about your current role in the organisation you're in at the University of Southern Queensland. How do you work with a digital pedagogy and curriculum team? So it's an interesting role where we do kind of project-based work uh, around innovation in primarily online learning, but kind of all forms of digital learning. So we have a team of curriculum and pedagogy leads, um, but we work closely with uh, staff in the schools and faculties on uh, design of courses and programs. And we also work closely with creative teams. So people who work on audio and video, as well as uh, graphic uh, and kind of user experience type stuff. So it's an interesting role because I'm often leading projects that um, have lots of people involved who aren't uh, necessarily my direct reports, as well as people who are my direct reports. And um, that can sometimes be a complex job. It sounds also like a very new type of job. How did you come to a job like this and, and where did, what did you do to, to get to a position like this? Yeah, I, I, you know, you often have these conversations with people about uh, their career trajectories and, and how they got to where they are and, and people talk about having a really planned and staged approach to how they develop their careers and I would say that's not me. Um, I've done a variety of things and I think it's the doing of those variety of things that's put me in a position where I can work closely with creatives um, and where I can also work with the academic side of things. So um, I guess 
guess over the years I've, you know, I worked in libraries before I came to higher education and then uh, I picked up a bunch of different skill sets through the teaching that I did um, in my previous job where, uh, you know, I was teaching basics of web development and, and a few other things. So I've kind of got this eclectic skill mix. And what we're finding now is that as we really start to think about what it means to design truly digital first teaching, not where we're retrofitting our old approaches to the digital environment, but now that we're really trying to think about the affordances of technology and how we capitalize on those, you do need that kind of skill set that I've picked up eclectically uh, through my eclectic way of managing my career over the years. Um, so it's very much an, an emerging space um, and, and one that's really exciting to be in. I just want to pick up on something you said there about that eclectic background. Do you find that something that as a leader you're experiencing more of in today's workforce? Yes, I think it's really, it, it makes people more adaptable to have that eclectic background and I think it's becoming increasingly more important. Um, as an academic, you know, and a researcher, uh, I've always been kind of transdisciplinary and done work across disciplines. But um, as kind of a practitioner and a leader, um, increasingly, I've had to be kind of a transdisciplinary practitioner and leader too. So you need to know a little bit about a lot of things. I mean, to operate in a web environment, you need to know a little bit about web development. You need to know a little bit about user experience, a little bit about graphic design, a little bit about video and audio production. Although, as you will attest from setting up my microphone today, my audio knowledge is fairly limited. Um, but it's it's that ability to be able to take all those little bits and pieces and not know everything, but know enough to have conversations with the right people that lead to the right outcomes. We're talking about self-awareness today. And within the MBA program, we're defining that as an ability to see yourself clearly. It's a process of objective examination of yourself with the aim of discovering insights into your identity and capabilities. But Kate, how would you define self-aware? What's it mean for you to be self-aware? Well, I think at its very simplest, being self-aware is about knowing who you are, but that's not a simple thing at all. I think knowing who you are um, and and therefore being self-aware means um, kind of first and foremost, knowing what your values are, because I think I'm someone who's really driven by values uh, and I think a lot of people are and you've got to know what those values are and understand how that influences your, um, your way of being in the world. I think it's also about knowing what your strengths are and how you capitalize on those strengths. Funnily enough, you know, I think going into job interviews, I've always been a bit concerned about the um, what are your weaknesses questions. But I once went into an interview where they asked me what my strengths were. And that was quite a challenging question for me to answer. And I think over the years since that interview, um, I've started to think more about what my strengths are and how I can actually capitalize on those. I think it's also, of course, about knowing what your weaknesses are, um, but not just knowing what they are, but knowing how they're likely to manifest um, and how you can manage them. And really importantly, knowing when you can't manage out those weaknesses, um, but you actually need to to fill a gap um, by bringing in other people. I think knowing yourself is also about uh, knowing how your way of being in the world, your way of acting and, and behaving and, um, and existing um, impacts on the way you lead um, and potentially, more importantly, on the people around you, which really is part of, of that leading. It, you know, it's about you need to, to understand that, you know, the way you operate is about you, but it's also about 
those around you and, and bringing a team together and being able to get the work done. So there's that sense of knowing who you are, but I think the other really important part of self-awareness is um, knowing how others see you um, and how that aligns with your own sense of self. Um, And that's quite challenging and something that um, can be hard to get a handle on. Um, And and to do that, I think to understand how other people see you, first of all, you've got to be willing to ask them. But I think it also is about uh, operating from a position of being deeply reflective and reflexive, um, being able to really stop and think about the way you're acting and, and um, how you perceive that and then thinking about what it might look like from the outside to other people as well. That sounds like a lot of work, Kate. Is it is it something that you have to do as a leader or can you pick and choose about being self-aware? I don't think you can. I think leadership is, um, you know, I think self-awareness is a critical aspect of leadership. I think it's probably one of the most important traits that a leader can have because when you aren't self-aware, um, and, and that means, you know, A, not knowing who you are and B, not knowing how other people perceive you, you don't have a read on how your behaviour impacts on other people. You don't understand how the way you operate and the way you exist in the world impacts on your decision making. Um, And ultimately, that has an impact on leadership and the organisation more generally. When you are self-aware, you make better connections with other people. Um, You can operate from a sense of confidence and security um, in your sense of self because you know who you are and you know what you're, how you're likely to react in situations and how to work around that. And I think, you know, when you are self-aware um, and you think about not just how you understand yourself, but how other people understand you and how your behavior impacts on other people, you end up with happier and more functional teams that get the work done and advance the, the aims of the organization. Have you experienced leadership roles, either you, as yourself as a leader or, or being led by others, where the leader isn't self-aware? Yeah, I have. And um, I think that this can be a complete disaster. And I've certainly seen it have some fairly disastrous um, implications and, and, you know, some less, maybe more insidious, less obvious implications. Because, um, you know, when you don't know who you are and how you operate or what your strengths and weaknesses are or where your values are, it's it's incredibly difficult to be effective. And I think probably one of the places I've seen a lack of self-awareness have a negative impact um, in a real tangible sense is around communication. Some people don't stop to reflect on how their communication style might impact on other people or, you know, even how their style differs from that of other effective communicators that they've worked with. Um, And I've seen this manifest in a couple of ways. Sometimes it comes across as disingenuousness, which, you know, can feel really icky and and make people feel uncomfortable with the communication. Um, But it can also manifest in communication that's really tone deaf and um, that then has a very negative impact on the way people perceive um, that leader. The other place that I've seen negative or or a lack of self-awareness play out is around um, being open to hearing critical feedback and to owning your part when things don't go well or when you get negative feedback. So, 
you know, I think leaders who aren't self-aware really struggle with that. Um, you know, I would say that I'm self-aware, but I still really struggle with that. Um, but I've seen leaders who aren't self-aware seek out feedback and then be unwilling or perhaps not capable at, at that particular moment in time of taking it on board. And that's one way to really quickly lose the respect of the people, people you lead. Um, if you're going to seek out feedback, you've got to have the self-awareness to be able to evaluate it and take some ownership. Um, and I think it's really dangerous territory to not be able to do that. Um, and that's definitely where I've seen a, a lack of self-awareness have an adverse impact. Kate, if self-awareness is so important for leaders to have, how do our students studying in the MBA get self-awareness? So this is something that, um, you know, I've worked on throughout my career and I continue to work on and not just um, in my career, but also in my life as a person. I think it takes a willingness to stop and think. Um, and, and first and foremost, that's about giving yourself time to be reflective and reflexive and and, and a little bit critical and to, to unpack uh, how you're operating. Um, and it can be really hard for leaders to make the time um, to do that. I always say, uh, you know, I supervise a lot of part-time PhD students and often these are really high-functioning professionals who um, come to a PhD and are used to just getting stuff done. Um, and when you're doing a PhD, actually, you've got to give yourself time to stop and think and mull. And I think self-awareness is, is like that as well. It's about um, taking that time out to think things through. I think my one hour a week where I come up with my best ideas and do my deepest reflection is the hour when I have a massage on a Saturday morning and I kind of lie on that massage table and, and it's, it's, it sounds relaxing, but it's never relaxing. It's always painful. Um, but that time I spend there is time when I do that deep thinking, you know, and for some people that can become kind of a rumination and something unhealthy. It can become, um, you know, if you're a naturally anxious person and, and I am quite an anxious person, you've got to really watch that that re reflection doesn't kind of um, become rumination that, you know, circles round and round in your head. But you've also got to be willing to take that risk and, and do that reflection. The other thing I think that's really important is is asking people around you, both formally through, say, 360-degree feedback processes and informally through conversation, um, how they perceive you to be. Um, there's been two times in my career when um, people have said something to me about uh, the way I am in the world that really gave me pause. The first time was I was having a conversation about a project with another manager and they said to me, you do realise you scare the shit out of everyone, don't you? And and I said, uh, I thought I was uh, I thought I was quite a nice person. And they said, Well, no, you've just got so much energy, and you just do so much at once that it's it is really intimidating for other people. And the second time was after I interviewed someone for a role that they got, and they later said to me that I was terrifying in the interview. And so that really gave me some pause. I think I, I was terrifying because I pushed quite hard with the questioning, but I think I was also terrifying because of the way I was um, sitting or my physical demeanour. And so it's given me some time to really stop and think about how I present myself physically as well and how that might impact on people. So it's not just about behaviours, I think. Wow, that's really interesting. I'm picking up the two things here um, about the way self-aware leaders are behaving 
is that they're self-reflective and they're people who listen to feedback from their community, both informally, as you said, through those hallway discussions and, and but also through formal processes. Yeah, I think that's very true. Um, those are some particular ways that you can develop that sense of self-awareness. I think there's also something, though, in coming back constantly to what your values are, which takes knowing what your values are in the first place um, and, and really having those clearly articulated and then checking in with how you're going with those values. And I think that's about, you know, that time that I spent on that massage table, I do think about how I behaved that week and, um, you know, the conversations I had and how they relate back to my values. Because first and foremost, I think my number one value is to value people and to support and nurture people. Uh, and so that's something that I'm constantly checking in with myself about. So it is that willingness to, to articulate what's important to you and then to continually return to it. You mentioned before an anecdote about uh, an interview that you were conducting. I wonder if when that's flipped, as an interviewee in a recruitment process, how do you identify that interviewee as being self-aware and, and how does the interviewee make sure that they're telling the board that for the job they're going through that they are self-aware? Yeah, that's a really hard thing, right? Because um, it's often implicit in the way people respond to questions. So, I mean, you can ask a question that's designed to get at the heart of whether someone's self-aware and they will be able to craft a, you know, a pre-planned response that, that tells you how self-aware they are. Um, but for me, what I'm listening for when I interview people is how they talk about the way things happened in the examples they give. So I want to get a sense of how they operated in those scenarios. Um, I want to understand, um, you know, if they're giving me an example about a project that went poorly and I'm asking them to tell me what went wrong and what they might do differently next time, I'm looking for some sense of ownership of the problem. I'm looking for some sense that they um, recognise what the problem was and are willing to go back and, and fix it. On the other hand, you know, if they're giving me an example about the most functional team they've ever worked in, I want to hear what they learned about the way people in that team operated. I want to hear about how they operated in that team. Um, and so you're often kind of um, looking for an underlying thread uh, rather than, I think, uh, framing a question about, uh, can you tell me why it's important to be self-aware and um, how do you demonstrate uh, self-awareness in your leadership? Um, anyone can give a textbook answer to that. And, and probably, hopefully, the students that come out of this course can give a textbook answer to that. But I actually want to hear about that, that thread of self-awareness through everything that they do. So it's constantly being self-reflective or, as you say, being self-reflective at least once a week, thinking back through time about what you've done, as well as thinking back through time about the feedback you may have had informally um, during that week. So, so constantly checking in with yourself to make sure that you're on the right pathway. Absolutely. And, and, and then getting a sense check when you, when you need it. Like, I'm not afraid to admit that I have a psychologist. And, you know, if I've had a challenging uh, month, when I see her, I'll talk through some of the things that have happened at work. And um, what I really value in those interactions is when she says to me, uh, Kate, I think you're operating from a sense of ego there. Like she will give me those checks. 
And she'll say to me, what is it that motivated you to react like that? Or, you know, how did you, how did this happen? And and get me to unpack it and really, um, you know, talk through that what it is that um, motivated me to act in a certain way. And she'll challenge me when, when I need to be challenged. And I really value that because there's not, there's not a lot of people who you can be challenged by in, in a kind of safe um, and caring way. Uh, and I think, you know, mental health practitioners are one, um, one uh, realm of people who can do that for you. So are coaches and mentors. And I think um, mentors outside your organization can be really helpful with that too. Um, and it's about building that relationship with them so that they feel they can challenge you, you um, value when they challenge you, and it's a safe space in which to be challenged. That's a really good point. Would you recommend that our students in some way find someone in their lives, preferably, of course, a professional type of person, a coach, um, to be that mirror, to be someone who helps them with that self-reflection, who questions their motivations? Absolutely. I think it's really, really important. And, you know, I've, I've always had uh, informal mentors and I've had formal mentors. Um, and, you know, I think coaching, I've also seen have a really powerful impact on people. Uh, what I would say to people who are looking for this kind of relationship for someone who can be that mirror for them is the first person you attempt to do this with may not be the right person. So don't give up uh, if you have an, an initial experience that isn't positive or doesn't do what you need. Um, it takes quite a strong person and someone with a little bit of remove from you to be able to do that challenging um, and to, to hold that mirror up for you. Uh, and you've got to trust them. Um, you've got to respect them. Uh, and sometimes it takes a while to find the right person to do that for you. Kate, I've really enjoyed this conversation about self-awareness and I've, I've definitely learnt a lot, but we always end our episodes with some generic questions. Can you tell me what do you believe is the difference between leading and managing? Yeah, that's an interesting question because I think that leading and managing often overlap and, and maybe the difference is kind of highlighted by my type of role where I am leading kind of initiatives that bring together groups of people, some of whom I manage and some of whom I don't. I think leading is about setting the vision and inspiring people to come along with you and to to achieve the outcomes that need to be achieved that align with, you know, the organization's goals. Whereas managing um, can be a bit more uh, like that humdrum day-to-day managing the way that that the work operates, I guess. Uh, Maybe it's a bit more kind of operational. Right. But do senior leaders, those people at the top, do they do something that's different from that? I think they do in the sense that those people at the top have to be kind of visionary. For me, a senior leader has to be someone that I can get behind, someone who I believe in and respect. And uh, that comes, funnily enough, from them being self-aware. But I think, you know, for a senior leader to have that kind of visionary role um, where people are, are committed to to the business, to the cause, to the goals and aims and to that leader, um, they have to be um, a particular type of person, someone who is self-aware, who's willing to, to make hard decisions, um, who really sets the direction. And, and I don't think that senior leaders always manage um, 
or necessarily that maybe it's that they don't manage um, throughout their day. But I think all senior leaders do manage, um, you know, they've, they've all got direct reports who they manage and there's aspects of the process that they manage. But I think what is really powerful is when a senior leader has the right person or right people under them so that they don't have to do that day-to-day management because then that frees them up to have that higher level um, perspective. So what you're sort of talking about there with that higher level perspective is really a a plan, a long-term plan or a strategy. Can you tell me what you think it means to have a strategy for an organisation? So having a strategy is about really knowing where the organisation is going, knowing why they're going there and knowing how to get them there. And I think, you know, to to enact a strategy, you have to be um, strategic. You've got to make decisions um, that align with where the organisation is heading and that advance the organisation and get them um, to that point. Being strategic and enacting a strategy, you know, it's complex. Um, It's a process of always coming back to, you know, what are the goals? Where are we heading? Why are we going there? And how do I I get the organisation there? Dr. Kate Davis, it's been a pleasure discussing self-awareness with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Daniel. I really enjoyed it. An executive coach, a program designer and facilitator, a graduate of three degrees, a board member, Kathy Grant knows what it means to lead. Kathy has worked with leaders across major sectors like construction, mining, health, government and tertiary education. Her passion is to challenge and inspire leaders to be their best. Her focus is to create positive, sustainable change in leadership performance and organisational culture by equipping leaders with the behaviours, mindsets and resilience to lead their organisation to the future. Cathy Grant, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much, Daniel. Cathy, can you tell me a little bit more about what you do for your current organisation? Thank you, Daniel. It's a great pleasure to be here. Um, I founded Leading Stratagems about 25 years ago, um, initially actually uh, as a small strategic marketing-based organisation. But over time, uh, as I came into more and more contact with diverse leaders, uh, our organisation morphed, if you like, into a a company that now designs and delivers performance-based leadership programs. And how did you get to this um, business that you run? Where did you start and what sort of things did you learn along the way that led you in this direction? Yes, I I guess I started initially in strategic marketing back in my 20s, um, first with BHP Steel and then later in fast-moving consumer goods marketing with Johnson & Johnson Australia. Um, And from there I established what really was a boutique marketing consultancy working with small to medium-sized enterprises, helping them to uh, examine their markets and think about their service offerings uh, and and to build businesses that were sustainable for the future. Interestingly, I guess, uh, increasingly, I became aware that it was the calibre of the people working for those organisations that ended up being a determinant, exactly. So I actually moved into executive recruitment And it was um, at a time when private equity was buying middle-sized organisations and then um, taking them to either trade sale or IPO a few years later. And once again, wonderful um, opportunity to observe the power of leadership in action. Uh, I found it kind of frustrating, though, that once I'd 
found and placed really good leaders, they were then left in a sense on their own to, to make their own way in what was often a brave new world of private equity. So I moved from there into um, executive coaching and I then found my real passion, I think. Wow, that's really interesting and a good story too that that within your work narrative you found that it's the people, not the product, that really matters at the end. No matter how good the product is, you, you need the people to be the best. Absolutely. Now, Kathy, what we're talking about today is self-awareness, self-awareness as a leader, which is, you know, an ability to see yourself clearly, to understand your limitations, your identity, your capabilities, but also how others see you in your organisation, how your employees might see you as well. Can you tell me what does it mean to you to be self-aware? Yes, it's interesting. I I really um, have a great um, alignment with Dr. Tasha Urich's perspective that there are two dimensions, an internal dimension and an external dimension. And and she speaks about the fact that internally you need to understand your values, your personality strengths and weaknesses, and then you need that, as you said, that that perspective on how others see you. Um, I guess uh, when I look across the leaders I've worked with over the the decades, um, Bill George's writing about understanding your true north those core guiding principles that you stand for and having that kind of self-awareness at your, in a sense, at your deepest level about your values is really important. And and I think there are two aspects of that sort of self-awareness, understanding your hungers and the things that, that really matter, what drives you, your core motivators, and then your triggers. And we all have those, don't we? Hot buttons. Um, and often it's related to a core value for us. And I think that's a, an, an aspect of self-awareness that is really critical if we're to be the people we want to be in the world. How important then is that self-awareness for effective leadership? There's a lot of research about what it is that creates effective leadership and some really good research by Bob Anderson and Bill Adams Uh, where they've done longitudinal studies over decades about what creates an effective leader. And what they found is that effective leaders are highly capable at building and maintaining quality relationships. So that's the relationship side, as well as then achieving outcomes. And underlying that, what they found is a key predictor of leadership effectiveness is actually self-awareness. And what they mean by that is, the capacity for personal reflection, the ability to learn from your mistakes, um, being able to be calm under pressure, and the fourth element and dimension they talk about is that sense of personal humility and that learning mindset. Well, they all sound like things that have been under a microscope lately with the COVID crisis, the ability to be calm under pressure, those relationships that one has. Yes, and it's interesting. We're, we're, I'm just actually um, in working with an organisation at the moment, a team of seven of us, working through an organisation that's going through really major structural change. And we are running forums and, and uh, executive coaching programs for that organisation's top 65 leaders. So it's been a very interesting time to look at what the impact is of those leaders who are actually self-aware And we're finding that those are the leaders that are giving themselves space and time to engage with what really matters. Um, So in in times of major change, your core values that might be things around fairness, 
and treating people with respect and dignity really come to the fore. And the leaders who are self-aware we're finding are those that are really engaging with those values and then making sure that they have the capacity to actually be in the moment with the person who is going to be impacted by the change and speak then to who they are as a human being um, makes a very big difference. What happens when that leader isn't self-aware then, the other side of that coin? Yes, it's it's interesting. Um, I was reflecting on a, a conversation I had with one of my colleagues yesterday and he's coaching a leader um, specifically around the notion of emotional intelligence, which is apparently a challenge for this particular leader. And, and this particular leader values honesty, openness and transparency. However, unfortunately, the way other people experience that is as um, directness to the point of it being sometimes apparently offensive and, and a sense of, of arrogance. Um, uh, so my, my colleague was giving me a wonderful example of a case in point working with this particular um, leader um, who was commenting on my colleague's new profile picture for his, his Zoom. And he made a comment in the spirit of apparently trying to be honest, open and transparent, that he didn't think it was a very good profile picture because my colleague's face looked kind of blotchy and red. And uh, and so my colleague used that as an example of how the fact that, you know, if in a sense he was trying, his intention was to actually give good feedback, but uh, because of his relatively low self-awareness, um, it actually ended up being quite a personal and somewhat insulting comment. Yes. And, and but how do you work with someone like that in your profession, Cathy? How do you take somebody like that and then help them become self-aware? Is, is it even possible uh, or is that something that that person's learned to do over a, a long, you know, education and career? They got to a point. Is it possible now to make them self-aware? I think one of the important things is uh, to create greater awareness through feedback. And so quite often if we're working with a leader whose intention and impact are not aligned, uh, we will actually uh, use additional the, the additional data that one can create from something like a, a 360 uh, instrument. And that often then helps that leader to understand that the way in which he or she is coming across is not actually as they are intending. And then once, once you've kind of shone a light on uh, that kind of difference of understanding, then you can often work with a leader to help them with some of the skills um, associated with building relationships or achieving better collaborative workings. Cathy, can you take me through how you think self-aware leaders think and behave? Yes, there's a lot of research that that talks about the neuroscience of um, behaviour and and response. And there's the the idea that between stimulus and response, there's a space, a pause, and that in that space lies our power to choose. Uh, And that, again, has come out of some of the work of Bob Anderson. Self-aware leaders actually understand their own hot buttons, as I mentioned earlier, and don't know when they've been triggered by a particular stimulus or or a comment from someone, and they choose to use that that pause instead of reacting in the moment and perhaps getting kind of hijacked by their emotions, 
they actually stop and think about, okay, so how do I want to respond? How do I want to be? What do I want that person to go away with? How do I want them to feel at the end of this interaction? As a wonderful example, um, just last week, one of the leaders in the organisation I was speaking about that's going through very major structural change had to address a large group of 50 people to explain the restructure and the impact of that and some of the changes. And she knew and those in the room knew that there were jobs at risk here. So, you know, highly emotionally charged environment. When it came to the questions, there were some angry employees and one of them was particularly vocal. I watched the leader. She could have become really defensive. She could have become really reactive. There was strong language around. I think somebody even said that the organisation was lying to them about X, Y and Z. So very high emotions. This leader actually became quieter. She became more humble and she spoke from the heart about the fact that she knows how hard this is for all of them. She spoke about the fact that, in fact, her own job was probably on the line as well because they were cutting out a level of leadership. And she talked about the fact that she really understood personally as well how challenging change is and how personal. And you could, you could have heard a pin drop, actually, and it was about the fact that she was um, aware of and choosing not to actually be reactive, but to just get in touch with what really mattered and to be beside the people in the room. Yes, it sounds, Cathy, to me that, that she was very aware of the feelings in that room at the time and how to make sure that the others in that room then understand how she felt as well. Exactly. That's exactly right. And and that's the other dimension, isn't it? You know, being self-aware is not really about having all the answers or staying in our rational brain. It's actually about getting in touch with the, the, the emotion and the feelings and, and, and other people's situations. Because we're all human in the end. We're not robots and we're all different, have different backgrounds, different things going on at home. So that self-awareness is around really a kind of holistic understanding of somebody uh, as an individual and yourself as an individual. Yes, exactly. Cathy, our graduates really want to know how to jump from that managing position to a leading position. And, and to do that, they have to obviously engage in, in that hiring process, the recruitment process themselves. And, and no doubt they've had lots of jobs and they've been through this process. But when it comes to being a leader, how do they, within that short process of a, a job interview, make sure that it comes across to uh, the company that they're doing the interview with, that it's obvious that they're self-aware, that they can demonstrate self-awareness? And, and also, how do you, when you're recruiting people as, in that company, look for that in somebody? I, I, I gave some thought to um, some of the trickiest questions that I could ask as a recruiter uh, that might be of, of, of service to USQ's graduates. So I've come up with a list of doozies, absolutely tricky questions that are really worthwhile um, reflecting on because, in a sense, you have the opportunity through answering them and telling your story to give the employer the sense of what who you are and what, what you stand for. So here goes some questions. How would you describe yourself in three words? 
How would someone you've just met describe you in three words? Uh, What are some of your strengths? What are the weaknesses of your strengths? Because, you know, and, and that comes from that place that a strength overused can actually become a weakness. So just a, as an aside, you know, if you are a person who is highly collaborative, that's a huge strength. And we know a great marker of leadership effectiveness. If, on the other hand, you're so collaborative that you don't actually um, voice your opinion, then that becomes a strength overused and can become a weakness of your strength. So it's worth thinking about that. What are, what are your strengths that then can just tip over and, and, and become a challenge for you in certain situations? A few other questions. <laughs> Tell me about what really matters to you. How, how do people know what you stand for? That's a hard one. What will your legacy be when you leave this position or our company? What's your proudest achievement? What's your strongest memory? So those are, those are sort of tricky, hard questions that take some reflection, but that actually say a lot about us as humans, as professionals, in terms of what we value, in terms of the strengths that we bring. Cathy, how do you not fall into a trap with those questions? I was thinking of some of them as you went through, and it would be so easy to say, oh, what matters most to me is um, something that has no context to the organisation. What matters most to me is um, my hobby or my family or, you know, um, something I like to do. But actually that doesn't, you know, they might say, oh, I love my kids, but, but what does that have to do with this job I'm going for? Is that a lost opportunity then? I guess it's about thinking about the context and thinking about if you are going for a job interview, you will have done your research about that company, its values, its mission, its purpose. And so you do need to prepare for interviews and think about the context of the organisation so that you can help them to see that you are a good fit for them. In my days when I was doing recruitment, there were really three questions that at the end of the day a company wants answered. First of all, can the person do the job? Do they have the skills, the abilities, the competencies, the capabilities? Secondly, will they do the job? In other words, how how motivated are they? Are they intrinsically interested in this job? And then the third part is, will they fit with our organisation? And fit is actually about culture and it's about that values alignment. So your, your role when you're going for a job as a new grad is to, in a sense, answer those questions for the company. And you do that really by preparing very well for your interview. And it seems to me that the first question, and maybe even the second to some degree, are questions that are probably answered in in your application for the job. The the employer is going to know that you can do the job because they've looked at your previous work, they've looked at your CV, um, maybe your LinkedIn, and you've got examples of your work there. They've got a pretty good idea as to whether you can do the job. But that last question about cultural fit, that's really about people getting in a room together. It is, exactly. And to your example before, you know, if, if, if somebody asks you, you know, what's your proudest achievement, for example, and it doesn't happen to be a work one, that's not, not at all an issue. If what you are demonstrating through telling um, the story about how you've coached your kids' soccer team is actually demonstrating... Um, a commitment or um, an alignment of values that fits with that organisation. You can draw parallels between 
a, a working or professional life and other things that you've done, and particularly when you're a new graduate and probably haven't had an enormous amount of work experience, that actually becomes very important. As the person sitting on the board looking looking at that employee, that potential employee, when they give you those answers, how do you ascertain whether they're self-aware from that answer? Most of the time you look for demonstrated evidence. And the way you do that is, is, is that classic question of, so tell me a time when, as an interviewer. So again, in, in preparing for an interview, it's wise to prepare a range of stories, examples of the things that you want that organisation to remember about you. So, and, and, and there's a model and it's, the, it's, it's SPAR or STAR, which is you, you talk about the situation, the problem or task, the action you took, and then the result. So if you were asking me a question about, so, you know, tell me about what really matters to you, Cathy, I might say, well, I guess the best way of my answering that might be to talk about the philanthropic ventures that I've engaged in over the last few years. And then I would say, talk about, for example, my role as chair of a board of a not-for-profit. And I would use the story of that, the concrete example of what I've actually done, to make real the words um, that I might say that actually people matter or actually philanthropy is what really drives me. Um, we, can, we can use words, but what matters as an interview is to be able to give some concrete examples that demonstrate. Cathy, we always end our discussion by asking these three questions to all our interviewees. And the first one is, what do you believe is the difference between leading and managing? I think of leading as a little bit like Ronald Heifetz's view of balcony and dance floor. So I think of leaders as those who take a more balcony view where they're taking a bigger, broader and more strategic perspective where they bring together divergent views. Um, and I think of leadership as being probably more about charting direction and strategy than about a day-to-day marshalling of resources. So it tends to be, I think, future-focused and big-picture-focused. And I think there's a hefty dose of inspiring others in, in leading. I think of managing more about meeting individual people where they are and being concerned about what is for them, uh, and then managing resources, time, people to perhaps a, a more specific and shorter term time horizon. That's that's how I think of it anyway. So what is it that those senior leaders are doing that is different from managers? Is it is it that in inspiration, that longer term goal setting? I think that's part of it. I think also senior leaders have a capacity to level shift. So they can take a systems perspective that is less about the technical and the detail. Um, They can understand and understand the nuances of patterns and a a kind of longitudinal view of the organisation and its markets, for example. Um, And and so they can see the organisation and its moving parts as a whole. And I think also leaders, senior leaders, are more externally focused. Um, So they're often dealing with multiple stakeholders, multiple systems as well. Cathy, what does it mean for that senior leader or the organisation to be strategic? I think there's two elements of that. Um, I think it's at its core about understanding context and that's 
to do with the external environment and its context. It's also, though, about understanding um, your internal capability and being able to look across time horizons to guide the organisation and its teams and services in ways that enable the organisation to flourish in the particular context that it, that it exists. Cathy, I'd like to thank you very much for being on the show today. And, and there have been some really great insights into the uh, world of leadership and self-awareness and also some really good tips there for, for the MBA students here at USQ with some, some good names that you dropped there and we'll follow that up in the learning activities afterwards to make sure that um, they become part of the reading. So thank you very much, Cathy, for, for being on the show. It's a great pleasure, Daniel. Thank you. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.